number two today would just say amen. Let me just kind of say right up front, I don't know if it's because I am a preacher or not, but man, I love, I love preaching. I really do. I like, to, I like to listen to preaching throughout the week. I probably normally on average will listen to about maybe seven or ten sermons a week from different preachers, all uh, different preachers that I know or, 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 or I, like. I like. I like to listen to preaching. I enjoy preaching tremendously. I, I, like, to read, I like to read sermons. There are people with sermons I like to read behind and learn from them. I don't know, Brother Don, I don't know if it's just because I'm a preacher or not, but man, I, I've come to a place where I just love preaching. You know, preaching really is a is a is a very for 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 the outside world looking in. It really is a foolish exercise, is it not? I mean, we're gonna we, 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 a man, a man, a man stands up behind a pulpit and he takes the word of God and he'll expound upon the truths of the word of God. Now, I, I, I kind of like preaching. I like preaching kind of like the way Abraham Lincoln said he liked preaching. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, when I like to, like to hear a sermon, I like to see the man act like he's fighting bees while he's preaching a sermon. And I'm kind of like that, man. I listen. I, 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 I'm not. I like. I like men who have some passion about them. I like men who have some. Who have some. Some energy about them. I like. I like. I like to believe not only that the, 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 the word the man is preaching, but I like to believe the man who's preaching it believes what he's preaching it, and I and it kind of shows up in the passion in which he's preaching. I like. I, I you know I like a little bit of sweat every now and again. I like. I like a little bit of hollering. I, we were. I mean, our teenagers went yesterday to go here to go to a youth rally, and that preacher was jumping pews, and I thought. Man, I kind of like this. I'd jump up you too, but then you have to call the ambulance. It'd be embarrassing. So, but I do, man. I like energetic and passionate preaching. But can I tell you something? Preaching, the, the, the delivery of preaching is important. How a man delivers the message, how he delivers the word and delivers the truth is important. But much more important than, importantly than the delivery of the message is the content of the message. You know, I like, I like how, how I heard an old preacher say one time, he said this, what a man ought to do is take any text and run straight to Jesus from that text. Because they can't tell you, all the Bible that we have from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, it speaks of one man and one man only, and that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, we live in a day and age and I, where, 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 where preaching has become nothing more than some eloquent conversation about, about self uh, self. Uh, self-motivation and self-aggrandizing and we want to give you 10 steps to a better you and try to give you ways to turn over to turn over a new leaf. But Frank, can I just say, I want somebody to preach to me about Jesus. I want to know about Jesus because he makes all the difference in life. And, I, and preaching ought to, ought to be about Jesus Christ. Well, I, 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 I like this good chapter in our Bible because this, this good chapter in our Bible is the very first sermon ever preached to the brand new church. Acts chapter number 2, if you know your Bible history, is really the, is, is what is the birth of the New Testament church. You and I, sitting here today at Bible Baptist Church, we find our beginning in Acts chapter number 2. Let me kind of tell you what's going on here, and, I, and I'll get to my thought here in a second. I, I, I want to, over the next several weeks, kind of preach a few messages from this, this, this chapter and what I want to entitle, The First Sermon to the New Church. And I want to try to pick this sermon apart a little bit and kind of, kind of preach from it from a little bit. But here's what's going on in Acts chapter number 2. In Acts 1, we, we, we once again are reminded that Jesus Christ, He rose again from the grave. Now, we're going to celebrate that in about six weeks on a day we call Easter. 
Scripture. The very fact that Jesus Christ, uh, he rose from the dead. And then Jesus spent a period of about 40 days God, uh, uh, on the earth, once again ministering to his disciples. He met his disciples in the upper room, came back again and showed himself to Thomas. The Bible says at some point in time he showed himself to some 500 different people at one time. Jesus, for a period of about 40 days after his resurrection, what kind of once again ministered to, the, to his followers. Well, then he takes, his, he takes his followers to the top, Acts 1, takes them to the top of the, of, of the Mount of Olives, and there Jesus ascends back to heaven. He gives them that great promise, hey, that great promise that ye shall be witnesses, that ye shall be, after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he ascends out of their sight to go to heaven where he has been since that day to now, preparing us a place, being our intercessor, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the moment Jesus ascends. Well, for a period of about, about 10 days, the disciples go back to an upper room and they spend time there praying, seeking God's face, trying, trying, to, trying to get the Lord's mind and the Lord's will on what to go forward and do. Well, a day comes called the day of Pentecost. It was a feast day that, the, that, 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 that many cultures, many Jewish people from several different countries would come and they would come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this feast day called the Feast of Pentecost. Well, on that day, something incredible happens. You can read about it in previous verses here in Acts chapter, chapter number 2. I like how it says that here they, verse number 1 says, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And it says this, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven heaven as a rushing uh, mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them. What happens? I'll tell you what happens. The great promise of the comforter has come. The Holy Spirit has now come and he is now a part of, this, of, this, of, these, of these men in that upper room and then they step out of that upper room into the city of Jerusalem and the Bible says that, 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 they, that they begin to Speak in tongues there in the city of Jerusalem. Now let me just stop and let me just kind of hit a little rabbit trail while I'm on it. Let me let, let me just kind of explain to you what that means. Now we live in a day and age. I know I know the idea of speaking in tongues has always been a thing, but it's seemingly taking a resurgence in the day and age in which we live. In fact, can I just be honest with you? It's kind of starting to creep itself into our Baptist circles as well. What does it mean to speak in tongues? Well, what it, what the Bible means, and you can you, let's just let, don't take my opinion for it. My opinion, a cup of fifty cents won't buy, won't buy a cup of coffee this day and age. But listen, the Bible tells us clearly what speaking in tongues was. Look what it says. <clears throat> It says in, uh, let me just read some verses to you. It says this in, 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 in verse number 7. It says this. Uh, and, the, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? All these disciples were from the, from the city of Galilee. And verse number 8 goes on to say, And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and in Pontus and in Asia and goes on to talk about all these cities and countries that were represented there in the city of Jerusalem. And here's what happened. As Paul walked, as, as Peter walked out and as John walked out and as Bartholomew walked out and all these disciples walked out, they were speaking in their Galilean tongue, that southern dialect uh, tongue from, from, from Jerusalem. But those those, Jeru those, those 
Jews who were there celebrating who were, who were Greek and who were Roman and who were whatever from all these cities, they didn't hear them in that Galilean dialect. No, they heard them in their own tongue. You know, that'd be like this. If you and I were to get hop on a plane and go to Spain and I walked off, I speak what's called country. I, that's, that's what I speak. <clears throat> but if I were to step into the city of Spain and I were to begin to speak my own dialect, I'd say, hey, y'all, they wouldn't hear, hey, y'all, they'd hear, buenos dias. That's what speaking in tongues was. God, in this miraculous event, allowed those people to hear the words being spoken in their own tongue. Now listen, you, we can, you can disagree with me, that's fine. I'm just going to stick with the Bible. That's what I'm going to do. You know, the Bible makes it very clear and this, that, that speaking in tongues is not some heavenly dialect that comes down that no person can understand. The Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that heaven, that in fact, the Bible does say if a person is going to speak in tongues, there ought to be somebody there in the house who can interpret what they're saying. You know, the Bible goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 13, that there's going to come a day when all these gifts like tongues are going to cease. You see, you have to understand, man, I, I'll be quick, I promise you. You have to understand that those gifts that were given were there to prove the authority of the speaker that was speaking. There were no Bibles in John's day. There were no Bibles in Paul's day. They were literally writing the Bible as they were preaching the, the Word of God. So how is it you could understand, how is it those men could prove their authority to those they were speaking to? Well, I'll tell you how. They were given sign gifts to prove their authority as being one of God's servants. One of them was speaking in tongues. That when they'd step into a city, that they would then be able to just communicate with the people in their own language, having never learned the language in the first place. But now we have that which is perfect. It's come. We call it the Bible. And the need for sign gifts are no longer necessary. And they've passed away. All right. That's, that's your first sermon. We'll take a second offering here in a second. But then, but then as they step out, as they step out then, in that Jerusalem streets, they, a crowd begins to gather and they marvel. They marvel at what's going on. They marvel at, at these men, these Galilean, these uneducated fishermen, how they're able to communicate in these languages that they don't know. And the crowd gathers. And then Peter, like a preacher ought to when he gets around a crowd, Peter stands up in front of all those people and Peter preaches the very first sermon ever delivered to the brand new church. And I like the sermon. Man, we could study this sermon. There's so much in here. You know how he has an introduction, verse 15 through 21 is his introduction where he kind of says, hey, don't marvel. Don't marvel what's going on. You're, you're the prophets of the Old Testament. They prophesied that this day was going to come. Don't be amazed. But then Peter does what every preacher ought to do. He takes a text and he runs straight to Jesus. And I want to show you some great verses from the very first sermon that's ever was preached in the brand new church. Look at verse 22 through 24. It says this, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. And ye, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and 
and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Boy, he was tactful, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, Peter, he got up there, and he was, he was just so kind, and, and he just kind of said, I want to tell you how much I love you. No, he called them wicked men. Oh, man, where's the backbone in this day and age? Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. What great verses to start off this great sermon in this brand, to this brand new church. Can I just show you some things? You know, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I, preachers ought to preach about Jesus, but the great truth of the matter, matter is this. The most important decision you'll ever make is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? What do you do about who Jesus is? You know, can I tell you, there might be people in this room today who maybe have an a academic knowledge of Jesus. Oh, they've heard him talked about. They know things about him. They, 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 they have learned Bible verses and they, they have an academic knowledge of Jesus. There may be people in here who have a, who have a historical knowledge of Jesus. Oh, they know that he grew up in, in, in Nazareth. They know, they know the stories of his, of his birth and his death. And they have a, a, a historical knowledge. But I'm not interested in your historical knowledge of Jesus. And I'm not interested in your academic knowledge of Jesus. I want today, I want to know about your spiritual knowledge of Jesus. I want to know today, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And can I just for a few minutes take this text and present to you why you should know him as your personal Savior? Can I, can I introduce some thoughts to you? First of all, Peter in this text, he talks about the association of Jesus. The association. Of Jesus. Look at verse 22. He says this, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. In that one verse we are reminded of the association or the relationship that Jesus had to God. There's two phrases I'm interested in. It says this, a man approved of God and then it says this, and signs which God did by him. Jesus is Jesus is once again where Peter's reminding the crowd and he's reminding you and I as well that Jesus was the Son of God. Oh yes sir, friend, listen, I listen. I know there's this, 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 this idea that people want to propagate that Jesus was just merely a man, a good man, mind you, but he was merely just a man. They want to tell you now that Jesus was a great teacher, but yet at the end of the day, he was nothing than a man. But I'm here to tell you what the Bible has to say, friend, that while Jesus was 100% man, oh no, friend, he was also 100% God. He is the Son of God. You and I, we, we, we believe the Bible teaches very clearly in a great reality called the Trinity that we serve one God who manifests himself in three very distinct ways. We have God the Father, then we have God the Son, and then we have God the Holy Spirit. You say, preacher, explain if I that. I can't, but I know I believe it. But I do know this, that it is God, the, that God the, the, the one true living God, He has manifested, He has shown Himself in three different, three different distinct persons to you and I. We have Him as the Creator God, the, the Father of all things, the one who spoke the world, the one who created the world, the one who, 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 uh, who, who oversees all things in universe and in time. And then we have him manifest himself as the Son of God who loved you and I so much that he came to this world to walk amongst us, to be amongst us. And then we have him as God the Holy Spirit who now indwells the believer to comfort, to encourage, to, 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 to take care of. We see one God manifested in three ways. Well, preacher, tell me about that. Listen, I don't understand all that. But I do know this. I'm made in the image of God. 
And just like God is three persons, I am made as a trinity. I have a body, a soul, and a spirit. But even in my own life, I am one person, but I am manifested in three very different ways. To my parents, I am a son. To my spouse, I'm a husband. To my children, I'm a father. One me, but three very different distinct people, persons about me. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. And can I tell you how he proved himself to be exactly who he said he was with his association to be the Son of God? He did it with what the Bible says right here. He says this, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did approve. Oh, friend, can I tell you, the whole world that surrounded the life of Jesus Christ was proven by miracles and by wonders and by signs. Oh, friend, can I take you to Bethlehem at his birth and all the miracles and the wonders and the signs at his birth for 400 years I had been silent. For 400 years, God had not spoken from Malachi to that, to that, to that day on that Bethlehem, that Bethlehem hillside. And then, all of a sudden, out of the dark of that night, a cry springs forth from a stable where now God has once again spoken in the world and he's done it through the birth of his only begotten son. Oh, friend, think about that nine months previously to that when the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you and you're going to have, the, and, you'll, and you'll bear in your body the Messiah, the Son of God. Oh, and the angel appeared to Joseph. Think about all the signs and the wonders that surround his birth. Oh, friend, I can trust his association to God because of the signs of his birth. I tell you, I can trust the association he has to God by the signs and the wonders and the miracle at his baptism. Yes, sir, friend, that good day some 30 years down the road as Jesus has now gone from a baby in Bethlehem to a man who walked in Nazareth. He steps up on the Jordan River and the John the Baptist was there preaching the kingdom of heaven and he looks up down the hill and he sees Jesus Christ coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world and Jesus steps into that Jordan river and John says and he asked John to baptize him and John says Lord I'm not worthy to even unloose your shoe latch let alone baptize you but yet John does and then what happened as, as Jesus comes up out of that water the light shines forth from heaven the dove lands on Jesus' shoulder and we hear a, a voice from heaven that says this behold this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased I can trust the association of Jesus because of his birth the miracles and the signs and the wonders of his birth I can trust the association of Jesus because of the miracles and the wonders and the signs at his baptism. But I can also trust the association of Jesus because of the miracles and the wonders and the signs of his burden. What was his burden, Brother Jonathan? I'll tell you what his burden was. Oh, friend, listen, the whole purpose, the burden for why Jesus Christ came was to save sinners. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And yet while he was here, yet while he had come with that burden, what did he do? The Bible says this one thing, that he went around doing good. Everywhere Jesus went, those who were blind had their sight. Everywhere Jesus went, those who were lame could walk again. Everywhere Jesus Jesus went, those who were dead we could hear. Oh, he'd walk the dead the tombs with dead bodies and he'd cry forth and the dead would come forth. Everywhere people would go and they were they were they were marred. With the disease of leprosy, Jesus would touch their marred and mangled bodies and heal their sickness and heal their sin and heal their heal their wounds. Oh, he could step on a stormy a stormy sea and by the power of his voice calm the sea like glass. Oh, he could take he could stand before, before a multitude of five thousand people and with just five loaves and two fish, he could feed a multitude of people. I can trust the association of Jesus. I can believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because of the miracles and the signs and the 
wonders, at His birth, at His baptism, and at His burden. Listen, friend, you're not hearing somebody today who wants to convince you that Jesus was just merely a man who went about doing good. I'm not trying to convince you that He was a good teacher with good moral value to try to help you be a better you. Oh, no, friend, I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is exactly who He said He was. He is, He was, and He always will be the only begotten Son of God. I want you to know that you and I can trust Him. You can know Him today. Hey, friend, I want you to hear me. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Him as your personal Savior, hey, I want you to know He came for you. He left heaven for you. He came to this earth to walk in this sinful world and be amongst you and I because He loves you so much. You can trust Him because of His association. Well, friend, I won't, can I tell you, I, 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 we see Jesus in His association in these verses. We also see Jesus and his affliction in these verses. Verse 23 says this, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now you have to remember, we're some 50 days since the crucifixion of Jesus. There were people in that crowd who I'm sure just 50 days, some 57 days previously, Brother Don, they watched, they watched Jesus come in on that, in that, in that camel, with, ride, that, ride, that, ride that, the colt, that donkey, and they watched him come in. And they had laid palm leaves down, and they had been crying in the crowd, Hosanna, Messiah, Hosanna, saying, he's come, finally he's come. And he, Jesus rode in on that colt of that donkey, and they were praising the fact that Jesus had come to Jerusalem. But then just some seven days after that, what were they doing? They were standing up and crying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. They said, crucify him anyway. His blood be on our hands. Oh, friend, can I tell you, while Jesus came to do good, while he came and he performed miracles, while he came and he was the Son of God, he came for one reason and one reason only, to go to an old Roman cross and there die and shed his blood for you and for I. Oh, friend, I want you to know, you and I, we, we, have, we, have, so, we have so cleansed up and made and made and made palatable the crucifixion. But I want you to understand, it was a horrible place, a horrific place. Oh, I know, I know Hollywood has done their best to depict it, but they can't even touch the horror of Calvary. Oh, I know there's paintings where you see the, you see the, the only begotten Son of God on Calvary's cross, but they can't touch the horror of a place like Golgotha. Oh, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, who was perfect, who had done no wrong, who there was no sin in him, who was perfect, he had done nothing, yet he was arrested in a garden. He was tried before a crooked council. He was taken. He was beaten. He was beaten. And then they took his beard and they ripped his beard out. Oh, they, 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 they took a, had a nine tail and they, and they whipped him to the point where his body and his back was with ribbons. And they, they, they took him in and they, they, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they took him before Pilate, beaten and broken and bloody. And then Pilate said, okay, take nails now and drive nails in his hand and drive nails in his feet and, cru and crucify him on a cruel cross. Oh, friend, can I tell you, you and I should look to Calvary and it should grieve our heart and break our heart perfect, uh, the perfect royal red ruby blood of our Savior would have to shed, but he did it willingly. He did it hopefully for you and I because he loves us so much. Oh, friend, listen, I'm, I'm so glad today that when it comes to my salvation, I'm not putting any hope in myself because I know me. I mess up. I do wrong. I'm not perfect. Hey, listen, I want to do right. Hey, but there's, I can't do enough right to earn salvation. Oh, friend, listen, I want you to tell you that salvation was never found in my good deeds. It can never be found in my good 
did these. Hey, I want you to know that I'm a member of a church, and I'm glad to be a member of a, member of a church, but my salvation was never found in my church membership. Oh, friend, hey, I want to do good, and I want to try to help take care of poor and less fortunate. Hey, I want to be the kind of person who cares about people, but my taking care of the less fortunate has never one time earned me a ticket to heaven. Oh, friend, listen, the great lie of our life is this. Hey, if you just try hard enough, and you do well enough, and you'll be good enough, that somehow you'll make a way into heaven. But, friend, that's the great lie of the devil, that you and I can never get to heaven on anything we've ever done. The only way you and I get to heaven is to see Jesus for who he is, the only begotten Son of God who loved this world so much that He left the glory and the splendor of heaven to come to this old wicked, cruel world that then suffer and bleed and die for all the sins of all of humanity because He loved us so much. And I can trust Him today because of His association. I know who He is. He is the Son of God. But I can trust Him because of His affliction. Well, I like how it says over there in Romans that, 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 that you know, I, got, I don't have my notes. I got to, Romans talks about this, that, you know, that, that peradventure, a good man would die for good people. You know, listen, I want to be a good man, and there are people who I willingly die for. Hey, I've got a wife and some kids. I'd lay down my life willingly for them. Wouldn't think twice about it. Hey, I would lay down my life for them. But you know, <laughs> I, 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 there, are, there are some people that are good people that do well. That, that I may, I may even think about trading my life for, the, for mine. But I like how it says this, hearing his love. Not that, a good, not that a man would lay down his life for a good man, but that he would lay down his life for sinners. Boy, can I tell you that great verse, Romans 5 verse 8, it says this, but God committed his love toward us. That word, I love that word commended, friend. Oh, it's one of my favorite words in all the Bible. Because that word commended, it means to prove. It really is, it, it is a jeweler's term. Hey, if you, hey listen, uh, we just, if, you're, if, you're, if you're ever around Christmas time or maybe Valentine's time, all these jewelers, that put their stuff on TV, right? And they have those nice big diamonds that are like, like, like twice, the, twice the value of my house. And they put them on TV. And they always do their best to show how, how shiny they are. How the light reflects, refracts off the cuts and the facets of that diamond. But have you ever noticed they always show that beauty of that diamond against a black backdrop? Because it's when the light shines on the diamond through the black backdrop, it shows the beauty and the value of that diamond. That's what the word commended means. That God proved his love. That there on the black backdrop of Calvary, the only begotten Son of God suffered and bled and died. And he didn't do it for the good. He didn't do it for the few. He didn't do it for the elect. Hey, he didn't do it for the church member. He didn't do it for, he didn't do it for all, the, all the people who, who always did everything right down the line. No, no, friend, he did it for the drunk. Hey, he did it for the drug addict. He did it for the prostitute. Hey, he did it for every person who ever breathed a breath of light. He did it for everybody. Why? Because God proved his love towards you and I in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. While you and I were unholy and wicked and, 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 and profane in our life, while you and I would have looked up and cursed God and defied His Bible and defied His law, while you and I had done everything wrong, God loved you and I so much that even in our sin, He still proved His love to you and I at Calvary. Oh, friend, I can trust in the day. Oh, friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, hey, if you're not 100% sure that if today was your last day on earth, you spent eternity in heaven, can I put forth to you my Savior, Jesus. You can trust Him. I'll tell you why you can trust Him. You can trust His association. He is the Son of God. Oh, friend, He's not some great teacher who has some great moral laws. He is God Himself. You can trust His association. You can trust His affliction. But you can trust His ascension as well. I like what that verse goes on to say in verse number 24. I think it is. Verse 24 says this. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Oh, friend, hey, you can trust him today. You, you listen, I, I, don't know, I don't know what you're holding on to. Hey, I don't know why God put this message in my heart, but I think there might be somebody here who's got their, who's got their hope in something besides Jesus. But, friend, can I tell you, you can trust my Savior. He is the Son of God. He died for you. But he didn't stay dead, friend. Oh, friend, there are religions today. There are people who put all their hope in religions. And, but yet the religions, they have to go visit, they go visit tombs of dead teachers and dead gods. There are people today that are going to walk into temples and they'll light a candle in front of some statue and they'll ring a bell to try to get the attention of that, of that dead, that dead, that dead deity. But friend, the difference between my Savior and their God is this, is that my God did die. He died at Calvary. But he didn't stay dead. Oh no, friend. He didn't stay dead. Some three days, some 72 hours after he breathed his last breath here on, on that cross, he looked up and said this, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost, the Bible said. Friend, can I tell you, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't spill one drop of blood. When you and I spill something, that's an accident. When you spill your milk, you do it on an accident. He didn't spill anything. Oh, no, he shed his blood. Calvary was a purposeful choice for you and I, where he went on purpose to die for you and I. And he shed his blood. And when the price had been paid, Brother Don, he looked up and said, Father, I've done what you asked me to do. It's finished. And he gave up the ghost. Well, they took him off that cross. And they carried him to a garden to, a garden to, to put him in a tomb to bury him. <laughs> and then for three days it was dark. The disciples had fled. They were gone. They, the, the Roman guards had sealed the door. They had put guards outside the gate, outside the door of the tomb. And for three days, the world lay in complete dark, darkness. But while it may have been dark up here, down in the heart of the earth, my Savior was doing a work. He went down.
the heart of the earth and he walked across that great chasm from Abraham's bosom over into, over into hell and he took the, the keys to death and to hell and the grave and he went, he, took the, he went to Abraham's bosom and he led those who had been waiting, those Old Testament saints, Brother Don, who from Adam all the way till then had been waiting for the day for the Messiah to come and they were waiting for the day for him to come forth and he stepped over there to Abraham's bosom and he said, listen, y'all, it's time to leave out of here. It's time to go home and he led captivity captive, friend, and he took them to heaven where they're now at. Oh, friend, can I tell you, for three days it may have been dark up here, but down there when the work was being done, he was making sure you and I didn't have to leave this world hopeless. He was making sure you and I didn't have to live in darkness. He was making sure that the price was complete and done. He paid the price there. And then some three days later, while those Roman guards were standing outside the the door, wouldn't let anybody in. Oh, friend, as the sun broke on that first Easter morning, that, that, that stone rolled away and the Lamb of God walked out of that too alive and alive forevermore paying the price for you and I oh friend can I tell you you and I we don't look to, we don't look to some five steps some five tens we have to follow we don't look to some, some, some church membership we have to have we don't look to, we don't look to some, some idea of giving to the poor and giving alms and going here and doing this and taking some trip over to Mecca to walk around some, some great big cube oh no friend my Savior paid the price he did the work he took care of everything all you and I had to do is come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And he who is alive forevermore will hear your prayer and he'll save your soul and I can trust him today because of his, because of his ascension. Oh, friend, can I tell you, what are you, what are you holding on to? Can I ask you? Listen, friend, can I just ask you, what are you holding on to? You know, the, the reality of life is this. The great reality of life is this. Is that at some point in time, all of us are going to have to die. It's appointed a man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And unless the Lord comes back, every one of us in here will have to taste, taste, will have to taste death. But friend, I know a man who took, the, took, took away the sting of death. I know a man who took away the pain of death. Because he died in our place. And can I tell you something? The most important thing you can do from your first breath to your last breath is decide what you're going to do about this man, Jesus. And can I tell you something? You can trust him. You can trust him. You can place your eternity in his hands. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. What are you holding on to, friend? What are you trusting, friend? Oh, can I tell you, the very first sermon ever preached in this brand new church was a message about Jesus. And from that sermon then to today in 2023, all we wanted to do was preach to you about Jesus. Because he's all that matters. He's all that matters. What are you going to do about Jesus? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Musicians are going to come.